0: Hello and welcome to One Digital's COVID 19 Employer Advisory Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide business leaders with the latest commentary on evolving business and economic news that impacts healthcare, business, and the workplace. In each episode, our One Digital advisors will be addressing evolving coronavirus situations, translating them for employers so they can be proactive for their organizations and develop their business planning strategies.
1: Everybody, and welcome to today's COVID 19 advi- employer advisory session. My name is George Papagelis, and I'm the Vice President of Customer Strategy and Solutions here at One Digital. And I'll also be your moderator for today's discussion. Before we jump in, I do want to pass along our sincere thoughts and prayers to you, your families, your employees, and your businesses versus, during this very unprecedented situation. We here at One Digital want to be your go to resource for information, for guidance, and for execution support during the COVID-19 crisis. Today's session is designed specifically to offer actionable guidance to employers related to the stimulus bill and the Family Care Act. Now to our panelists. Please welcome One Digital's Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Reform Initiatives, Annette Bechtold, and One Digital's President of Retirement and Wealth Services, Vince Morris. The format for today's session will be a 30-minute conversation with two of our COVID-19 advisory leads, followed by a Q&A. Also, please note that on Tuesday, March 31st, next Tuesday, we'll be back here for a COVID-19 employer advisory session that will take a deeper dive into some of the content covered today and we'll explore how the stimulus bill may impact employers and their employees, including unemployment benefits. Registration will be open at the end of this session. Today, in addition to covering the stimulus bill and Families First Act, we'll talk about what we're seeing in the marketplace, including retirement plan considerations for employers during this evolving situation. Let's begin. Okay. In response to COVID-19, the corresponding quarantines and business closures, the market has experienced tremendous volatility. I'd like to pose this question to Vince, who leads One Digital's retirement and wealth team. Vince, can you tell us more about what we're seeing and what we can expect? Sure, George.
2: So going into uh, the recent economic downturn, and uh, more specifically the market downturn, because we're just now starting to see the economic uh, repercussions of um, COVID-19, really corporate America was uh, in a really strong balance sheet, uh, meaning they they had a lot of uh, cash on hand. We were at full employment. Uh, household balance sheets looked good, meaning people had, had really weren't overspending anymore. Um, we were much better prepared than what we were in 2008. The, um, the debt that, that normal Americans had uh, had been reduced from that period of time. And really our economy is generated by consumers. So about 70, 72% of our normal economic activity is uh, through consumption and, and the consumer. And um, that was at really all time highs. Uh, manufacturing was was good we were a full employment and so we were much per, much better prepared for where we're at today than where we were when we entered uh, the 2008 uh, crisis the other thing I would um, uh, emphasize here is that this is more of a uh, manufactured economic downturn uh, there wasn't a systemic asset level like it occurred in 2000 and um, eight and uh, with the financial crisis as well as like a dot-com bubble or, or other asset bubbles uh, that we had had in previous uh, downturns and so this really was a balance between trying to contain the spread of COVID-19 and uh, keeping the economy going so there was a decision point that had to be made uh, both from a government and the private sector as to, you know, could we sustain or basically put the brakes on the economy and, uh, and go to more of a shelter in place um, and remote working and those type of things, knowing that it was going to uh, definitely substantially impact small businesses and mid-sized businesses, as well as large corporations like airlines. Um, but that, that had to be weighed against potential loss of life and in the economy. And even today, I saw Fed Chairman uh, Powell gave an unprecedented live interview, which this just really hardly ever happens for a sitting uh, Fed chair, uh, stating that there was nothing wrong with the economy. Uh, Q1, uh, we entered Q1 very, very strong, and uh, that this wasn't a systemic uh, shutdown, but a short-term shutdown in response to the COVID-19. Uh, which makes the things that are happening in Congress and the stimulus packages even more important now because uh, if you're gonna artificially shut down the economy, you've gotta be able to re-stimulate the economy. And when I look at the COVID-19 cases, uh, our testing capacity, at least here in the U.S., is uh, substantially uh, growing. Um, we expect higher case counts because of that. I mean, before, if we weren't um, weren't testing people, Uh, We didn't know the true uh, case count, so we're we're still expecting that to to rise over a period of time here. Uh, The healthcare system seems to remain strong. I feel like uh, the government, as well as the private sector, is now getting behind uh, healthcare needs and and, uh, manufacturing products and things and services that that, uh, are really needed uh, to be able to stave off uh, a widespread crisis here, uh, even more than what we have today. So, and we have had previous outbreak experiences. I mean, this isn't, uh, this isn't new. Um, you know, the, the, the last pandemic that we had was in 1918, but more recently we've had things like SIRS and uh, MERS and SARS and, and other flu epidemics. And while this is widespread and we don't know uh, necessarily where uh, or if it will be contained, it, it, um, we do know the market impact and economic long-term impacts with other uh, coronaviruses. So unemployment did jump. Uh, we went into last week about 280 jobless claims. Uh, this, this week's number just came out this morning. We were up to three million, uh, really on a, on a relative basis. I know it's a struggle for those people that have been laid off and, and are in the unemployment lines, but we still have relatively overall low um, unemployment, even at a $3 million level. And we would anticipate that this probably this number continues to grow, unfortunately, and that there's more economic uh, data that's going to come in now that uh, is going to show, you know, prob- potentially negative GDP growth, uh, more unemployment, those type of things. The markets always hate um, uncertainty. And in a large part, they were moving in a direction due to the fear of the uh, coronavirus and the COVID-19 uh, and the uncertainty around what that economic impact is. And as we move into second quarter here, we're going to see more and more uh, headlines around the actual economic impact. And some of that's priced into the market, but some of it may take the market uh, lower from where we are today. But the large stimulus package um, that was just passed uh uh, last night by the Senate and, and uh, hopefully in the next day or two by the House really um, emphasizes the backfilling of what the economic impact is and why this is so important for our economy to be able to have access to capital and to funding to help support the small and, and mid-sized businesses, um, as well as there were additional steps with the, with the Fed that uh, will allow for monetary stimulus uh, to take place, lower rates, things like that. So the CARES Act really passed um, last night, 96 to zero in the Senate. Uh, Hopefully the the House will expect it again, uh, is expected to pass it uh, here in the next few days and it will arrive on the president's desk either over the weekend or or early next week is what we're uh, hoping for. And we do have periods of, of declines, sharp declines like this, I would say, That most of the the asset managers and the the, uh, economic forecasters that we've we've talked to really emphasize that this is probably more of a V-shaped, where we uh, severely went down. We we lost uh, quite a bit of uh, market valuation in a very short period of time. And that um, when that happens, there is typically a sharp recovery period. Uh, So like in fourth quarter of 2018, which wasn't that long ago, we lost 20% of market valuation in in that fourth quarter, quarter. Uh, but over the next nine months, uh, the markets actually came back about 37%. So it's very important for participants to continue to focus on things that they can can control, like savings rates, spending, asset allocation, overall financial planning and picture and continue to dollar cost average into their retirement plans. Um, when the unfortunate thing of, of uh, an employee being laid off, um, try to preserve their retirement balances so that, there is, uh, the, that that's a source of, of money that's kind of a lender of last resort or, or a pool of last resort. Um, because uh, typically what we've seen is that the average investor uh, who moves money around or runs to cash or pulls money out of the market, um, fails to uh, be able to participate in the upside when things turn around. And and so we want to make sure that we're uh, addressing employee needs and, and participant needs with some education and advice in the marketplace, George.
1: Great. Thanks for that, Vince. Appreciate it. Uh, the next question, uh, the government is in the process of providing stimulus packages to help shore up the economy and provide support to employers. Uh, this is probably one of the, the most frequent uh, type of questions that we've got. So Annette, this is for you. Where does this third package stand and will there be other packages in the near future?
3: Yeah. Um, so thanks, George. As Vince was saying, um, this is the third stimulus package, and this is designed to really spur the, you know, help to both the healthcare workers, to the average American person, um, and really kind of bridge this this time. So the Corona, it's called the Corona Virus Aid, Relief, and Economic Securities Act. So that the acronym there is CARES. So the CARES Act that you're hearing about is the third stimulus package. So this went before the Senate, they've been deliberating over this a $2.2 trillion package since Sunday. Um, there were some contentious components to it, but all in all, as Vince indicated, it passed um, with 100% um, people voting for it um, yesterday in the Senate, which is huge. So now this moves over to the House. So the House um, is, is in discussions as looking at it today. We want, we should not have a vote on it today. It, most likely it would come tomorrow. However, um, the house could take up the bill as it exists. These are options and um, and then vote on it. And if they pass it, it goes to the president's desk or they could look at it and not like some of the provisions. They could also compare it to the the house has their own bill. They could compare it to that. If they like the house bill better, they could choose to look at that bill and then um assemble a group of people that are going to reconcile the two bills if any modifications happen to the senate bill it's got to go back to the senate then for approval after it's passed through the house so we'll see the earliest probably um if everything goes good they they decide to take up the senate um version that just passed and they pass it tomorrow, then it could go to the president. So I think we have to watch for that. Now this is an 880 page economic rescue package. So I'm gonna give you an idea of the things in it, assuming that that it goes and nothing gets stripped out of it. There are some things I think that are important um, to understand. So first of all, it's broken into into five diff- or four different areas. The first one really focuses on retaining the employee, uh, the American workforce, and so it provides some expanded loan programs to employers if they stay in business, and if they help their, empl- you know, they're, they're still employing their employees. So it would apply to small employers that are um, fewer than 500 employees, but it also got expanded to um, sole proprietors, independent contractors, self-employed individuals, a lot of the gig workers that, that um, usually are forgotten in many of these things. So it expands out to them um, as long as they were operational as of February 15th and then this loan period would run from February 15th through June 30th. So it, it does provide some guaranteed loans to these folks so that they can stay operational. The second title, which is I'm going to come back and focus on that because that's probably where the bulk of this stuff is for us, um, really assist workers families, businesses through both income subsidization, as well as some relief in the tax area. So I'll come back and talk about that more specifically. The third section of this particular stimulus package focuses really on supporting the healthcare industry. So um, that makes sure that they've got what they need to fight the disease itself. And then the last part really focuses on shoring up the industries that are like really hard um hard hit that would include the airlines or transportation or other types of services like that so if we, so just kind of focusing in the area that um, that really I think will is most impactful for our employer groups um, is this second part where they're really assisting the workers or assisting the businesses as well. Um, and in both the tax uh, arena and with other benefits. So the first big part of this is this expansion of unemployment benefits. And these unemployment benefits are going to run through the end of the year, and they will help in a number of ways. So one, they extend out to self-employed people, independent contractors, people with limited work history, those types of things who typically aren't eligible or are limitedly eligible for unemployment. Um, The other thing that it does is it provides some relief to states. So as the states are paying unemployment, a lot of times there's a week where they're they're certifying, etc. So there's a week of unpaid um, uh, or or no payments. And so the the federal government will shore that up for that first week. Uh, The other thing is um, that they'll do is also um, provide Um, 13 weeks of additional unemployment beyond what the state uh, normally applies for workers. So once the state benefits run out there's an additional 13 weeks. Also $600 per week um, in addition to whatever the state is paying. And then, then they also have a provision in there for short time compensation. So not that you're not working any hours but maybe you're working really reduced hours that the government will help shore up those. The uh, second piece is are these recovery rebates? I think most everybody's been hearing about, where the the um, all U.S. residents are going to get some cash back from the government. And so, um, individuals who have an adjusted gross income up to seventy five thousand or one hundred fifty thousand for a married couple, they're going to get twelve hundred dollars for each or twelve hundred dollars in adults or twenty four hundred for that married couple. Plus, they get five hundred dollars for each child. Um, now the uh, uh, people who earn more than that, it will phase out in increments. So it's reduced by five dollars for every hundred of income. So basically, it fully phases out um, with individuals earning ninety nine thousand, heads of households at one hundred forty six thousand, and uh, married filing jointly at one hundred ninety eight thousand. So between the original thresholds and these top, there will be some something less than the twelve hundred or twenty four hundred that people get. There's also retirement funds, uh, an adjustment in there, so it would waive the 10% early withdrawal penalty uh, for distributions up to $100,000 from qualified retirement accounts. Um, any for those withdrawals made um, on or after January 1st of 2020, and. Um, Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, Obviously, these withdrawals have to be related to the coronavirus, either somebody who is diagnosed, whose spouse or dependents diagnosed, um, uh, those types of things. And they have some serious adverse financial consequences due to that. Another piece in here is that there, there will be uh, up to a deduction for up to three hundred dollars of cash contributions to charities, even if you don't itemize deductions. Um, so that helps spur um, um, people donating to churches or other sort of charitable um, charitable functions that need support during this time. Uh, there is also um, employers um, providing student loan repayment. Um, will be able to do so on a tax-free basis. Um, so there's a, a cap of they can contribute up to 5,250 to annually toward um, an employee's student loans, um, and so those are going to be excluded from employees' income. Um employee, uh there's also employee retention credit. So this is the part where they're um requiring or not requiring, they're incenting employers to um uh keep people on the payroll. And so there'll be fifty dollars fifty billion dollars in tax credits to those businesses who do that, and there'll be a refundable tax credit for fifty percent of that workers' paycheck up to ten thousand dollars for the period of March thirteenth through uh, December 31st. And so there are some caveats around that. The last couple things in this provision, you can see how big this bill is and how many different things they're trying to do, is that they, uh, the last two things is that they're going to defer some payroll taxes. So the Social security tax, the 6.2% tax, that will be deferred through December 31st. Uh, with payback over over the next two years. So 50% of it will be due by the end of 2021, and the other 50% by the end of 2022. Um, And then the last piece is that there's a few other business tax modifications that include um, how companies use of losses or carrybacks are done um, on um, net losses. So that's that section. In the, in the third section where they're really talking about and supporting how they're gonna fight against this coronavirus, um, it talks about making sure um, that they remove any barriers and help um, with drug and device shortages, et cetera. So there's a lot of things in there, but there's a couple things specific to benefit plans that I thought was interesting that were in here. So one is that it would allow patients to use their funds in their HSAs and their FSAs to purchase over-the-counter medical products Uh, including things that they need to uh, for quarantine or social distancing and they won't have to have a physician's prescription, which they would today in order to use them. The other thing that it would do, it would allow um, high deductible health plans and HSAs to allow services before the deductible for telehealth. So without getting into a long thing. Tell, on your high deductible health plans with HSA if you can't have any first dollar coverages without um, disqualifying your HSA which means you would no longer be able to make contributions into the HSA. So you can't have first dollar coverage unless it's preventative. Well telehealth and you also can't have another health plan. Telehealth is considered another, another health plan most often and usually would disqual- if you had used your telehealth services before your deductible was satisfied, it would disqualify you from contributing to your HSA. This particular bill would relax that and say, look, if you're using telehealth for anything having to do with the, with, um, the coronavirus, it would not disqualify. And, and same thing, um, it, it's going to be allowable for Medicare as well. It also increases Medicare payments to hospitals by 20% um, for COVID-19 related diagnoses, eliminates cost B, uh, Medicare Part B cost sharing for those people for the vaccine once that's ready, and then allows Medicare Part D to provide a 90 day supply of drugs and medicines. So those are the big things. The last part, the industries, it's gonna give some subsidization to hospitals, to, to airlines it uh, throws in money for um, additional monies for food stamps local response community services and those types of things so lots in that particular bill so as they start to look at this coming forward in the house they wouldn't be agreeing to all these things it'll be done on a voice vote meaning they don't have to fly everybody back from their home districts because most of them have gone home in fact the senate has all been sent home till april 20th so they'll be doing things by voice vote; they don't have to be present, um, so that won't hold anything up. So now we're just going to wait on the House and see what happens, hopefully we'll have a decision Friday and they can move forward with getting some of this relief in.
1: So Annette, thank you so much for giving that rundown and, and, and for reading all 880 pages. Uh, I think we all appreciate it and we'll look forward to hearing more detail um, maybe on Tuesday uh, if and when the bill gets passed on Friday. Um, before we move on to the next question, though, Vince, uh, I know there were there were a few uh, items in the bill that were financially oriented, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to chime in if you have any additional thoughts to what Annette just laid out for us.
2: Yeah, just a few, um, maybe deeper dive on a couple of the provisions related to the retirement plans. And I only had like 10 pages to to read on the retirement section, (laughs) but there were some, some ones that are really critical in, in helping your employees. I mean, if, if someone, uh, again, is in, in the really unfortunate, uh, predicament of, you know, being impacted by, um, the actual virus or having a family member uh, that had the virus and, and, you know, can't work, has medical bills, th- those type of things. Plus hardships around um, daycare and and school shutting down and having to to maybe, um, um, you know, work, go to a part-time status or just being in general impacted by different things in, in the household around COVID-19. There is a totally new provision around hardships, and um, basically it's got a pretty broad definition. So I, I do think a lot of people could, could probably uh, fall under the definition uh, in the CARE Act. And then uh, it does allow for up to $100,000 to be withdrawn from the plan. Uh, no 10% penalty as Annette alluded to. Uh, it would be the taxation would be spread over three years. And it is up to $100,000 or account balance. So if you have a $70,000 401k uh, balance, you can't draw $100,000 on. Obviously, you would only be able to draw up to, that, um, to, to your account balance. You could spread the taxation over three years. They did say that you could uh, pay it back over three years. So that would uh, help to, to offset the taxation and be able to get it back into the account in addition to your normal contributions that you're also making. The hardship is self-certified. So um, you as the taxpayer are on the hook for it, but again, it's a fairly broad definition. So I think a lot of people actually will uh, be able to uh, be covered under this. Um, they also added a one year waiver on the RMD. Again, the way if you're in retirement, like a 70 year old, um, you'd already obtained age 70 and a half, and you were getting required minimum distributions out of the accounts. Then uh, the balance, as of the way those are calculated, is as of twelve thirty-one. That average, that account balance was fairly high, and you would have to take a percent of that um, value at that time and make the withdrawal for this year. So they just waived it, knowing that those accounts are down, and you'd be drawing money out of your four hundred one k plan at potentially a, a low part in the market. There is a new loan provision up to one hundred thousand. So current loan provisions are uh, $50,000, 50% of your account balance up to $50,000. Um, they've in, inserted this new loan provision to where you can go up to hundred thousand dollars and spread it over, uh, the payback over five years. And then they did offer some relief for funding on pension plans. So if you're an employer that offers a DB plan, um, the, the funding would be typically the tax filing date, but now then they've moved that to the end of the year. Um, So those those are the primary provisions. Um, There is an audit level thing that if you're not a level plan, that uh, one of the questions an auditor always asks is is about your you know are you reasonable to be have ongoing concern and and maintain your corporate status and that type of thing. And and so that there are little nuances that as you work through this um, that you know you'll have to probably pay attention to. I would encourage people to just, you know, make sure you're, you're operating the plan like it should be. Uh, check with your advisor and record keeper if you're going to add these provisions. Um, there is an amendment that has to be done, but they, they gave you a long runway. Uh, they're not really due to have the, the plan amended amended uh, to accept these provisions until uh, the end of year 2021. So it's a long time. And if you call your record keeper today or TPA they're probably not going to have the amendment, right? This is still brand new. So, but I would look for, you know, over the next three to nine months to be uh, looking to add these because uh, if your plan is impacted, the record keeper uh, may, you know, just go ahead and say, hey, we'll, we'll adopt these new hardship provisions uh, and allow your employees access to it. Uh, but then just know that you're going to have to add this, this amendment to, uh, to your regular plan document.
1: Great. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate that. Now I'm going to move on to the next question. And and this is another question, Annette, for you, uh, and probably one of the more common questions that we've been getting over the last, uh, you know, five or six days, uh, and it's specific to the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which we talked a little bit about last Friday. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously that bill contains requirements for employers to provide emergency paid sick leave and expanded FMLA coverage. Um, This, of course, comes at a cost Potentially to employers, but we hear that there is some direct tax relief. Uh, is and, and is that correct? And if so, can you talk a little bit more about how that might work for, for our folks on the phone?
3: Absolutely, um, yeah. There is relief for that, and so the IRS did come out and say that they intend to release guidance that will that will do the following: one, you know, when you're taking. Um, when you're making making and going through payroll, you know you're paying your wages and then you've got your federal tax, you've got your social security and you've got your Medicare taxes that come out of that and typically whoever you're using for payroll or if you're doing it yourself you you hold those monies aside you you deposit them or remit them to the IRS so what the IRS is saying is you're going to get a dollar for dollar whatever you have had to spend for the sick leave and this expanded family medical leave um, along with any health plan expenses as you're continuing this health plan that your health plan during that time that you'll be able to take the uh, and get a dollar for dollar refund not, or, or tax credit. So how do you get that is the question I keep getting. It So what they indicated in their latest guidance is that Instead of taking those tax monies, the federal, the Social Security, and the Medicare, and remitting them or depositing them with the IRS, you get to keep those, keep those for now, use those to offset some of that cost, uh, providing the sick leave, the FMLA, and, um, and, and then any difference, if there's a difference. Uh, meaning you're paying more than those payroll taxes, then you can ask for an immediate advance credit rather than waiting to get it up through your quarterly tax filing. They're going to have a claim form for that purpose. Um, it's not up yet, but they will have a claim form for that purpose. You'll be able to document that and then send that in to the IRS. And they're saying two weeks or less turnaround time on checks back for that, for the excess. And so that's how that's going to work.
1: Great. Thanks, Annette. I just, I just have a quick follow-up for you. because um, Again, this is something that's come up quite a bit. Um, so what should employers do in the interim before the April effective date of the FSCRA? Will it apply retroactively? A lot of employers are a- asking if this is going to yeah. kind of be imp- you know, implemented prior to April or, or not. So can you speak to that a little bit, please?
3: Sure. So um, they they were very clear. We got some uh, some guidance on that. That it will not be retroactive. So if you put your folks on leave now, um, prior to April first, you cannot be subsidized for for the monies you're paying out for that. You also cannot withhold any tax or, or not um, not pay any of those payroll taxes, et cetera. Um, it begins on April first. That's first and foremost. Um, and then um, it. I think the other advice I would have is start gearing up up how you're going to provide the documentation about what you're paying. So remember that sick leave or this expansion of FMLA can only be for, there's only um, six reasons that you can have that. So one, it's that federal, state, or local have Um, issued a quarantine or an isolation related to that employee related to the COVID-19 or an employee has gotten advice from a healthcare professional to self quarantine or they're experiencing some sort of symptoms and waiting to go for a medical diagnosis um, maybe you're the caregiver. That's the fourth reason you're a caregiver for somebody who's subject to an, to the order or is in quarantine or treatment from a healthcare professional. Um, the fifth one is the, the one that's kind of the outlier or different, and that's because of all the school closures or place of care closures. You have to care for a child, and you can't work or telework during that time. And then um, the last one is if HHS has an has um, other reasons or other illnesses or substantially similar conditions that they come out with and say, hey, this applies to that too. So if it's one of those six reasons, you have to document that somewhere. And I would say probably today through payroll or whatever, you maybe have a code for six pay or paid time off, or maybe you don't even have paid sick time. Somehow you're going to have to track for that. So it might be a good idea today to figure out how can you flag the payments for either paid sick time or, um, or what you're paying to your employees or, or paying for healthcare during this, uh, this COVID related, these COVID related, um, issues and so some way of tracking that i think is going to be really important for you to provide substantiation i don't know what that's going to look like to get the call since we don't have a claim form yet but i would suggest like this is a good time to work with your payroll company or figure out how you're going to flag those to be able to tell because you know granted you could have people out on FMLA leave normally that has nothing to do with COVID-19. Maybe they had knee surgery or hip surgery or something, but that's going to have nothing to do with it. So you're going to have to somehow figure out how to account for all of that. So I would say this is a good time to try to work with payroll companies to do that.
1: Great. Thanks Annette. Appreciate that response. Um, okay. The next question, uh, Vince, this is for you. Some individuals may find themselves with the need to dip into their savings or retirement funds. What should individuals know right now, particularly as, you know, most of us have probably just lost, you know, I don't know, 20, 20%, 25% of our uh, of our retirement funds. So can you speak to that, please?
2: Sure. I mean, it it probably goes back to those provisions I mentioned before, George. I mean, first of all, I think uh, if they're employed and um, the employer is continuing to fund the 401k plan and you're getting a match and, and those type of things, you really want to make sure, as an employee, you continue to defer into the plan to, to the best of your ability, right? You're you're leaving free money on the table. Um, you right now, as you noted, um, the stock market's on sale, so so you want a dollar cost average in over a period of time. Um, to get the you know so when, when if if we 're correct and this is a, a recovery, and at some point it 's going to be a recovery, so when the stock market starts returning to normal levels or setting new highs again someday, then they bought stock at a lower price and and um, and captured the gain on the upside so I think it 's really important to try to keep people focused on the long term um, i know in in certain circumstances people you know uh, they're going to have hardships, and they're and they're going to be faced with, hey, can I, do I make my mortgage payment, or do I pull out funds from my four hundred one k? And we understand that. And and uh, if those times arise, typically it's better uh, to try to to borrow the money uh, from your four hundred one k first, and then uh, if for some reason that doesn't um, that doesn't suffice, then uh, to access it through kind of the hardship provisions. Um, you know, if people have to stop for a period of time, they can come back in. Uh, if you have to take a hardship, you can, uh, you know, if six months from now they're in a better financial situation, they can come back into the plan and start deferring uh, again. I would say from an employer standpoint too, George, it's. I think it's likewise just as important from an employer to understand that um, their, their capital needs. I mean, if they're, if, if they're able to, to continue with their match and safe harbor match and things like that, then, you know, that sends a better signal to the employees, um, that, you know, they're in it with them and, and that it's important to continue to have that retirement savings. But we also understand some employers are not going to be able to do that. And there's, you know, most plans are written to where there's a, you know, the match is discretionary or the contributions discretionary. Sometimes it's hard coded into the document. So I think employers, uh, will just have to, to, you know, work with their advisor, their, uh, record keeper to to know what those provisions are and um, um, you know model out different changes and and get an understanding of how that might impact the impact employees and I think employees at this time need access to advice I mean um, they're dealing with a lot of different uh, things coming at them from you know potentially getting laid off and and now having to work remotely and and all of these different types of things and maybe one person's laid off at home and not not another. Uh, so there's a lot for them to try to digest and, um, you know, to the extent that an employer can give employees access to advice, uh, so that they can have someone kind of handhold them through the process, uh, would be really good.
1: Yeah, thanks, Vince. I mean, no question about it. I mean, this is an unprecedented event and certainly very fluid at, at really all levels. Um, so appreciate those thoughts. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question out. Uh Annette, I'll let you respond first, and then Vince, maybe you can follow up if you have additional comment. But uh Annette, you just walked through, you know, again, sort of a pretty succinct uh outline of the eight hundred and e, eighty uh, page uh, stimulus bill as well as the um family um first act. Um but I know just in talking with Customers, myself. There, there are some other you know, downstream implications that could protect, potentially be an obligation for employers and could impact them. Um, can you speak to some of those types of things that maybe aren't sort of front and center on the news?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we just know in in employers having and offering benefits plans, they have a ton of obligations under ERISA to, you know, provide fiduciary responsibility for the plan, to handle the funds and assets in a particular way. And then there's a whole host of um, reporting and um, disclosures and notices and all kinds of paperwork that go with all the fun of offering benefits to employees. So um, I think uh, some of the things that come to mind for me, George, are, um, first of all, we've got under the Affordable Care Act, the IRS filings, the 1095 C forms, B and C forms have to be um, filed here. Um, and so in the midst of all of this, this was kind of problematic. Um, trying to account for all that, doing all the tracking, et cetera, sort of feels um, overwhelming with uh, more, more, uh, more, less or less stable let me put about a less stable workforce or these decisions and not a priority but still that deadline looms and there's huge penalties for not complying on time um, also uh, i think about uh, a couple of upcoming dates you've got the quarry season july that are going to be due at the end of july you've also got your 5500 filings for anybody with a january 1 plan year that's going to come up but i um, each month you've got um depending on your plan year is seven months after the end of your plan year, you have to file your 5,500 forms. Um, big penalties there for failure to do so. Um, there's also uh, lots of letters still coming out from the IRS to employers who maybe didn't uh, either had errors, failed to file or, have, or, or something with their, the Affordable Care Act in um, their offer of coverage. And so these penalty letters are coming out they only give you 30 days to respond to that. So that's in, in the midst of this. Then we have deadlines on if we make plan changes, especially if employers are significantly reducing benefits. We've got um, under the Affordable Care Act, your summary of benefits and coverage, the SBC notification timelines, as well as under ERISA, your summary of material modifications on your plan. And then not to mention non-discrimination testing with a workforce in flux. There's all of these things looming over employers. So I can tell you that um, on our behalf, we're working with regulators to to try to identify these and say, can we get some relief on these or extensions?
1: Thanks, Annette. Um, you know, Vince, uh, I'll just kind of toss the same question to you in terms of other obligations that, you know, may have an impact here. But maybe, maybe you can focus on a question that we're getting a lot right now is, um, you know, is it best to freeze employees' retirement accounts since the market is dropping right now? Uh, I've had employees notify me that their 401ks have lost a lot of money and they're very concerned. So maybe in, in your, your commentary on that question, you can kind of focus a little bit on, on, um, you know, whether or not employers should, should, you know, freeze their accounts.
2: Yeah. And it, it, and, um, it's a good question, George, and it's nuanced for each individual employer and, and they have to look at their financial situation and, um, you know, and the and the business model and what they're trying to convey and why they even have the 401k plan in the, in, in place. And, but I, I would just, I would caution on, on sending wrong messages. I, I mean, again, I understand we're in a, we're in a unique time where, financial situations uh, are impacted very quickly. And, um, you know, I think another 30 days here is going to give us a lot of clarity around the economics of this. Uh, how how bad is it? And um, is there kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel that that this is going to be a fairly quick uh, down and back out type thing and, and we start putting people back to work uh, fairly quickly. So, you know, some of this is even if you're contemplating like furlough versus laid off, I mean, we were in a really tight labor market going into this where it was hard for businesses to find the right people. And so, you know, you, you gotta know that, uh, well, if I lay off a bunch of people or terminate a bunch of people, can I get them back, uh, you know, on 60 days, 90 days, 180 days from now when I really need them. So, um, sometimes financially it just makes sense. You gotta do that. And other times it's like, well, that's what the stimulus is for is to provide kind of an interim financing funding and and access to capital and incentives to keep people on the payroll. Um, But I think from a plan standpoint, you really have to continue normal operations, continue to look at the funds, make sure you have great quality funds, look at cost uh, reduction things that you can do. Um, you know, there, there might be, you know, cleaning up the plan, getting low balances. If you did terminate a bunch of people, um, you know, make sure that, that those balances are getting cleaned up and you're priced, uh, accordingly with the record keeper. Um, if you're doing 20% or more of the labor force in a layoff, that does trigger a partial plan termination. I know that I think, uh, phase four, we're looking at, at potentially trying to get rid of some of that, but a partial plan termination, there's documentation notice that has to be filed. And you have to 100% invest the people impacted in the plan, uh, but it's really encourage employees to stay the course. We we've seen a lot of these. I mean, we had you know the debt debacle um, where we lost I think 20 25% uh, downturn in a six week period of time, and all these are since. 2008, 2009 timeframe. And even if you look at the worst um, timeframe, which was uh, really October of 07 to March of uh, uh, 2009, I mean, that was an 18 month period where we were definitely in a recession. We were definitely in a market pullback. And then, you know, within a couple of years after that, everybody was back to normal. And if those that had just deferred past or or through that period of time uh, really took advantage of um, prices that, at a very low uh, point in the marketplace. And with a long, most of us aren't going into retirement tomorrow. Uh, Most of us have a longer time horizon for for deferring this and creating uh, an account balance. And so we wanna look for that long-term time time horizon uh, and, and stay the course to the extent that we can.
1: Great. Thanks, Vince. I mean, I I said this at the beginning in my opening, and I'll say it again now, and I'll probably say it at the end. I mean, there are a lot of moving pieces here. It's very fluid. So I think, you know, the advice that I would kind of just echo from you and and Annette is to, uh, you know, stay really close to your benefits consultant, your financial advisor uh, to help, you know, navigate through all of these different fluid pieces. Um, with with that, back to you, Annette. Um, you know, since the law is fluid, that seems to be a you know kind of a word that we use a lot with this uh, with this situation. Um, you know, what are what are what are some other uh, you know guidance that has come out? Uh, you know, since um, you know since this has first been introduced, are there any other clarifications that employers on the phone need to be mindful of uh, in addition to some of the ones that you've already talked about today? <laughs>
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a number. The first of which is what the real effective date is. So when the law was um, the law came out, it said it would be effective um, no later than 15 days after the date of enactment, and that's where a lot of people came up with this April 2nd date because of the date of enactment being March 18th. Um, the guidance that just came out sets the actual effective date at April 1st. So the, the Family First Coronavirus, uh, Coronavirus Response Act now goes into effect on April 1st, which makes a lot more sense being and cleaner at the beginning of the month. Um, but there are some additional ones, George, I think that will help folks. And they it does respond to a number of questions that I keep getting. Um, so the first one really is some better direction about Okay, we understand that the sick sick paid leave, the emergency uh, paid sick leave, and also the FMLA expansion applies to employers with fewer than 500. But how do you count that? Well, I get that a lot on on all these uh, different um scenarios of businesses and connections so i'm going to try to give some basic rules about this counting piece about to understand am i under 500 and do i have to comply with this emergency paid uh sick leave and the expansion on the fmla so um first of all it applies to public employers. Um, all public employers other than certain other than certain federal employees. There are some very limited um, certain federal employees that are not covered by FMLA, but everything else everybody else would be covered. Um, public and private that get questions on schools, public and private elementary schools, secondary schools, it, um, they're all entitled to FMLA. There is no size requirement for them. Um, Other schools like um, public or private colleges or universities, daycare providers, they're all subject to the same criteria as private employers. So that's this under 500. So if you're a a single entity, employers would count all your employees at all your locations. And that would include full and part-time employees within the U.S. and any of the U.S. territories. Um, It would also, um, you also need to count anybody who's currently on leave. Temporary employees who, and even those who are jointly employed by you and another employer, um, day laborers um, that are supplied by a temporary agency—you have to count all those people. The only people you don't count are independent contractors, 1099 workers; those are not considered employees. Um, and then, uh, some have asked about common ownership. Um, there are specific rules around that, but of if you're separate corporations under some common management with some interrelated sort of operations or um more centralized control of the labor force there's common ownership or financial um control that qualifies as a single employer then you're going to aggregate all those and count all those people together even in in those separate entities so i think that's the first place um that they gave um more more guidance let's put it that way The other question I get a lot of is, ooh, we saw that if you're under 50, you can be exempt from all these rules. So they came out with more guidance on that to provide for these smaller employers. This exemption that's that's potentially available um, would only relate to the Paid sick leave and the FMLA expansion due to the school closures. So, those other reasons that I talked about before, where you're quarantined or you have symptoms or your healthcare provider has quarantined you or, um, or you're the caregiver for somebody with COVID 19, all of those still apply. The exemptions really only on paying out that FMLA and the paid sick leave for, um, uh, the people have to stay home, can't work, can't telework because their kids are out of school or the place of care for their children is closed. So how that would work is that eligible employers would have to document that that cost would affect the viability of the business. And then that somehow is going to be, you're going you're gonna to turn that into um, the DOL. They said, don't send us anything today. They said, "Please don't send us anything, but start documenting why you think your reason is that this is going to affect your viability so that's what you could do today on that one. Um, we talked about the payroll credits the other um, The other big thing is um, there's a notification requirement, so there's this notice requirement about the paid leave they used to post a notice, and they said, Oh, we'll provide a template." They did last night uh, in our um, materials you'll be able to link to the DOL site to get a copy of that notice. And there's also an FAQ that goes with that that says, here's what you do with the notice. You're supposed to post it in a prominent place on your premises, et cetera. But if the question keeps coming in, well, 1-4 already closed or people are working from home. So email will work, sending it via regular mail will work. If you have an internet or something like that, you can post it there as well. But everybody will need to do that by April 1st about the sick leave. And so I think, Um, Oh, and then the last one is non-enforcement. So they said, look, all this goes into place April 1st, but our job as DOL is really going to help you to comply with the law. So we're not going to issue any penalties or things for people who don't get it right in the month of April. We're going to be there to help you so long as if we point something out that you haven't been doing right, you get it fixed. We're not going to provide any sort of penalties to you. So they came out with this non-enforcement period. So, those are the big things we've seen, but they did allude that there's gonna be more guidance forthcoming on other things.
1: okay, thanks for that, and I'm sure you'll you'll stay on top of that and keep us all posted. so appreciate um, that additional information um, so so hey vince i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna throw it out to you for just some final comments, maybe on you know the economic update. Um, you know, any, any, any you know, commentary maybe that you haven't hit already. So what, what are some, you know, other areas of the bill relative to the economy, et cetera, that you might want to kind of hit on here before we move into some of the questions from the crowd?
2: Yeah, sure. George, I, I, I truly think that, I mean, it, this is the largest stimulus package we've ever had in, in the U S and Uh, I, for, you know, as massive as our economy is and the tough choices that people had to make, uh, I, I've been really impressed how people did come together. Uh, I, we've seen, um, I mean, we've seen both parties come together. The administration seems to be working with Congress. Um, you know, sure. They still throw out the barbs at each other every now and then, but, um, they're, they're actually getting things done. Uh, we've seen corporations in the private sector step up. Um, I, we've heard a lot around grocery stores and foods and, uh, you know, toilet paper being gone and everything else, but in the grand scheme of things, the supply chain is really intact. I mean, from farm to grocery store, um, sure. When you walk in the grocery store, some of them, uh, the shelves are bare, but, it, but we have a great supply chain. It's very robust. It's very deep. People are not going to, um, go hungry in the United States due to, due to a supply issue. And so, Um, there are things to work out there, but I've also seen it in other things like Ford stepping up to make ventilators and things like that. General Electric, I think, is getting into it. So people are retooling. Uh, There are people hiring. uh, Amazon's hiring. Truck drivers are hiring. Uh, Walmart just announced 100,000 people to hire. And while that's not going to be, you know, if you're a dentist, you're not going to go work at Walmart. But if you were a waiter uh, and your restaurant got shut down, that's a viable short-term solution. And And so those things take a little bit of time to work out. Uh, But I think as the economy kind of retools here and and we've seen e-commerce go through the roof, uh, the last number I saw we're tracking on is is about 211% up on e-commerce. And so there are places, uh, Zoom meetings, uh, Zoom seems to be up. So there are places in the economy that it is actually growing and we are seeing stabilization. If you look at like, uh, China case count and China is kind of flatlined and, uh, they're actually starting to, to grow their economy out of this now. And they're about two months ahead of where, where we are today. And so I, I you know, when you're in the thick of it, it, it is always doom and gloom. Uh, and the headlines and 24 hour news cycle tends to keep it right there front and center. But, uh, we've, we've experienced downturns before we've come out of them before. Uh, we don't particularly see systemic risk risk here. I mean, I think it's, you know, the headline news is going to definitely get worse before it gets better here. Uh, but this isn't a major collapse. This isn't the apocalyptic thing. And so, uh, you know, I think businesses have to, obviously based on their financial situation, make determinations around the retirement plans and benefits and layoffs and furloughs and things like that. Uh, but uh, hopefully, the stimulus will add a, a lot of, uh, you know, backstop financially for America's uh, corporations and small businesses, and and the employees that have to put put go buy, go to the grocery store and buy the food. So, so uh, I think we're you know we're thinking that that this this isn't going to be a, a really long long term type of of pullback. That this is something that in the in the short run here we'll have a lot more clarity on.
1: Great, thanks, Vince. Appreciate those thoughts, and you know, we'll obviously all keep a keep a close eye on that. It's kind of hard to get away from everything with uh, the news cycles and things like that. Uh, uh, But here's here's one for you, Vince. That's come up a few times. Um, uh, If you are if you are if you file married if you're married filing separately, will income be viewed as a married couple or an individual?
2: I have to admit, I am not much of a tax guy, especially when it comes to. uh to the filings um, and preparation stuff. So, George, I'm, I may have to kind of punt on that. unless than that knows. Okay.
3: That's um, okay. Go ahead, if, Ned. if you're, if, I was just going to say, if they're talking about um, for the credit, if that's what they were talking about, you know, how they're going to get the um, the twelve hundred dollar payment or whatever. I don't know if let's that's assume what it that been let's just assume to. that
1: for today and that Let, let's assume that's the question <laughs> since it came up a little bit earlier as a result of a conversation so why don't we why don't we if you guys can address that great right? if not then we'll 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 certainly you know respond uh, later
3: yeah that. so so the way that the way that it is now is that each person gets $1200 to each adult and so if you think about it that way um, Twelve hundred for an adult, twenty-four hundred for Mary. So it, it doesn't really matter how you file. That twelve hundred is per adult fee, and then the five hundred is for each child. So that's good yeah,
1: one. great, great. Okay, I assume it was related to that because that's around when it came up. Okay. Yeah, um, I guess one too. Okay, uh, Annette, this one's for you. Um, and so this this has come up a bunch of times as well. Um, so. Let's see. Um, the language in the Families First law exempts health care. Does that include community mental health workers, do you know?
3: Uh, for the um, So, there is an exemption or an exclusion where um, certain health care providers or businesses can, can exclude those first responders, et cetera, from these paid sick leave rules and the FMLA. And it's because there's going to be a separate program for those healthcare-related workers, so they can be exempted here. I think that's what they're asking. Yeah, but that's because the monies are coming to help them through a different through a different venue, and also okay, because great. they can't have the people not showing up either. So I think they're going they to have to do some special things to incent that that workforce to to stay intact. Yeah. But they'll be a, a compensated in different ways.
1: <laughs> Great. Thanks, Annette. And let, let's stick with you here for a second. We've got another one around, you know, qualifying events. So is there any thought, do you know, in that being given to loosening the definition of a major life event, especially when it comes to dependent care?
3: So um dependent care um at there is already um, a lot of flexibility when you're talking about qualifying life event, because basically for dependent care, it just matters if you've had a change of income or, or that care, the cost of care. So already built in the law, if you, if you or your spouse, let's say your spouse is staying home now, and you don't need to expend all that on care, you can already make those changes to your plan. So there doesn't need to be any, um, Right now, at least as, as far as we can see, there doesn't really need to be any any amendments made that exist today on the, on the dependent care.
1: Okay. Thank you. Okay, Vince, I'm going to come back at you here, um, or maybe both of you. I'll just kind of throw it out there and whoever wants to take it can. Um, so um, just touch on for a moment the small business loans and and sort of converting them to grants uh, within the new bill. Do you guys have any insight or comments on, on those?
2: I do know the SBA stuff that came out earlier uh, in phase one and two. um, I mean, it's designed to add uh, a mechanism for low cost loans uh, into the system through the SBA at a really low rate. I I forget what it was, but it was like 3.25% you still have to have the ability, you still have to have you know, a credit score, uh, they're, they're gonna pull your credit report and then um, they'll, they'll look at pre-COVID-19 um, financials, so something around, you know, if you looked at a 2019 financials and things like that, if you were, if you were in good shape going into this but been been uh, decimated because of, of COVID-19 uh, and you just need some operating capital to keep afloat till you're on the other side of this, that is a, a good good place to go. I mean, you'll have to eventually pay it back uh, through the, through the loan, the SBA loan uh, program. But it is a uh, an immediate source of capital. Whereas if you went to maybe a banking channel uh, to to try to secure that same loan, they're going to want collateral and a bunch of other stuff. And and this is a uh, pretty quick turnaround and uh, easy easy program to to really apply for.
3: Yeah, and Vince right. doesn't have longer payback terms, too. Yeah, I normal. think it's thirty
2: thirty years. Yeah. Uh that's what I was thinking off the top of my head.
3: Yeah, it was it was some it was a much longer payback period. So I think it, that in and of itself provides a lot more leniency and flexibility from a financial perspective for the businesses.
2: Yeah. And you can always pay back early, you know, uh, if you're on the other side of this and, and things are going well, uh, but it does extend it like, uh, cause I think a normal SBA loan is about 10 years. And I think that this is uh, quite a bit longer.
1: Hey Vince, just to follow up on that, and, and you may have already hit on this a little bit, but um, under the context of businesses being concerned about, um, you know, using their credit lines to support the business, um, do you know if you can get the loan? Can you get the loan um, even if you maybe can't or haven't been able to get a loan somewhere else? You know, can you maybe just elaborate a little bit on on that sort of maybe pre-COVID 19 and post-COVID 19 ability to get that that small business loan?
2: Yeah, so this, that I mean that's the true benefit because right now the credit markets, uh, while the the Fed has moved to uh, lower interest rates quite a bit dramatically. And, um, they, they stand ready to, to kind of deploy credit from the bank banking channel. Um, it, the banking channel is still going to, um, have some issues. Like if you're, so if you're a restaurant owner and you're shut down or, uh, or something like that, and you go to the bank to draw down on the credit line, the credit markets might be still tight. Um, they may look at you as it is today because they don't have a lot of certainty in, in the recovery so that, you know, 30 days from now may be a different story, but right now they don't, they don't know, you know, how bad it's going to get and, and those type of things. And if you'll be able to recover, whereas the SBA is going to really look at where you were and they're anticipating, you know, their, their model, uh, assumptions are more that, that this is going to be in recovery, you know, sooner than later. And so they're, they'll be more likely, and they're backed by the government, so uh, they'll be more likely to be able to uh, to lend you the money.
1: Great, thanks, Vince. Um, and then, so Annette, I'm going to, to kind of direct one last- this one, this last one, to you. Um, and again, I, I kind of said it earlier. You know, these these questions around leave and things like that have probably been the most common questions we've we've gotten over the last week or so. Um, so it'll be around that. Uh, if an employee was quarantined before April. Um when should they, when should this when should a business uh pay them in accordance with uh, FMLA rules?
3: So the FmLA rules uh, uh, you know have to do you have to look at when did somebody get FmLA today forget the family's first coronavirus um, if they had flu or were ill and had to stay home, that is uh an FmLA event so um, you would you would. Um, grant them FMLA. Now, that is typically unpaid, but you give them that time off, right? And then they can use their PTO time or they can use whatever time or pay is in there, and then you're you're keeping their benefits. So, um, in that instance, if they're actually ill, that's one thing. If they're not and they're quarantined, you know, they're at a stay home order or a self quarantine or whatever, and it doesn't fall under the FMLA guidelines um, as they as they exist today and won't till April 1st. And they don't have to really follow that until April 1st. Now, remember, the expansion of FMLA is only for school closures you're staying home, you have to telework, whatever. That's the only time FMLA gets expanded. So it has nothing to do with quarantining or anything else. It really is just about school closures for FMLA. Now the paid sick leave is the thing we're talking about, that that would, so if you're home today, um, and it's because of quarantining because the federal government or the state or whatever, there's no mandatory paid sick leave today. It doesn't start till April 1st. And so, at that April first juncture, you would be uh, if if they're still staying home, you would start their two weeks of paid sick leave. Great.
1: Right. Thanks. Like appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank you, Annette, and you, Vince. Uh, you know, for for um, you know putting together some some great responses to some some really uh, you know difficult questions. Um, hopefully, you were able to take away some uh, you know information and actionable uh, actionable advice. Um, and, uh, and remember, please connect with your, your uh, you know, your One Digital Benefits advisor, your financial advisor, uh, you know, somebody that can help, um, you know, take the information, help synthesize it and really create uh, an, uh, an execution roadmap uh, in collaboration with you. Uh, more information about how to access these is on our, um, our uh, One Digital COVID-19 Advisory Hub at onedigital.com backslash coronavirus. Also, as I mentioned earlier, please know that you can send your, you can email your questions directly to our COVID-19 advisory support team. This is a group of uh, HR benefits and compliance professionals who uh, will provide uh, advice in addition to what you currently receive from your One Digital consultant. Uh, the email address for that support email is COVID-19 support at one Again, it's COVID-19 support at onedigital.com. And right now our goal is to return those emails within three hours of receipt. Uh, Since this situation changes, literally minute by minute, I mentioned the fluidity of it a few times during our conversation today. Uh, We understand that that also increases some of the challenges that you all face. Uh, Please join us again here on Tuesday, March 31st, at two o'clock for our next COVID-19 advisory session during which we'll update um, much of what, uh, what, what Annette kind of highlighted relative to the stimulus bill um, earlier. And we'll dig into a little bit more detail as we need to on the um, uh, Families First Act. Uh, stay healthy, all, and stay connected with your family, your friends, and your coworkers, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of One Digital's COVID-19 Employer Advisory Podcast. There's never been a time more than now, during which our commitment to standing as one with our customers and providing peace of mind is more important. We are committed to providing the guidance you need to make complex decisions, even in the most challenging times. For additional resources, thought leadership, or for the latest employer information related to the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit onedigital.com forward slash coronavirus. Thank you.